In June of 1619, a boat left England and went down to the country of Angola in Africa and then came over and landed in the New World in the Jamestown settlement just an hour up the road from here. And this is significant because the people who boarded the boat in Angola were the first slaves that were brought to the New World. In fact, the first person listed on there in a 1624 census, uh, there's a woman named Angela or Angelo. Uh, she is listed as the first slave that came to the New World. Uh, she was a slave of a, a guy named Captain William Pierce. Um, and that kicked off, and it has been uh, talked about and, and, and um, sort of spoken about a lot. You hear the 400 Project or things like that right now. The 400 years later, that kicked off a, a legacy of, of slavery in this country, which then, um, when slavery was defeated, it led to just other forms of institutionalized racism, whether it was Jim Crow laws or redlining or uh, different things that have gone on. Um, and, and being so close to where that started, you, you experience a lot of that in, in Richmond, whether it's um, in, in neighborhoods or in school systems or just a lot of stuff that's under the surface. If you are new to Richmond, uh, you may not be aware of, of the dark cloud of history that, that hangs over the city uh, because of, of racism and, and, and how it has taken its toll on, on our society. Um, and so that's been, that's been a, a sort of undercurrent here in, in our culture, and it really goes back 400 years. Um, let me tell you a second story about someone else. In 1888, there was a guy named Joseph D. Jarnett. So I want to show you his picture up on the screen. Joseph graduated in 1888 from MCV, and he took his first job practicing medicine at the Robert E. Lee Veterans Home. Um, and, and you may not know the Robert E. Lee Veterans Home, but I can almost guarantee you've been there because it's about five blocks from here. If you go over to the VMFA, and you look, not the new building, the VMFA, but the old building, it's kind of across the garden there. That is the original, what was the Robert E. Lee Confederate Veterans Home. Um, that's, where, that's where this man worked in 1888. And then he got a job a year later out at Western State Hospital, which is out in Stanton. And he worked there for many years. On July 21st, 1939, there was a celebration at Western State University Hospital and it was a celebration of the administrator of that hospital who had been there for 50 years. At that hospital, uh, at that celebration, there were four uh, Virginia governors and two Virginia Supreme Court uh, justices that were in attendance for this big celebration. At that celebration, Joseph DeJarnett stood up. At that point, he had been in medicine for a long time. He stood up and gave it a speech. And during his speech, he advocated for the idea that we should be forcibly sterilizing people that we don't want to reproduce. And this speech was applauded. This speech was, oh, this is really good. I mean, this, guy, this guy was the cutting edge of science, the science called eugenics. It was the idea that we should force people to not breed if they have qualities we deem as society, we deem these qualities as desirable. What the Nazis were doing in Germany at that time was looked at by many in the scientific community around the world, including here in Virginia, as, oh, this is... This is the way you should do it. This is really smart. They're doing, they're doing some smart things. So DeJarnett uh, launched 
the eugenics movement there, and they ended up naming uh, the hospital for him. The, D- the, G- the Jarnet State Sanitarium is, is named after him. If you want to know where that is, if you drive 64 west from here and you go like you're going to Harrisonburg and you turn it down and you go 81 north, right off to your left, you'll see a large building up on a hill that's abandoned and it's kind of stately looking. That is that building. That is his legacy of forced sterilization of people. The reason I bring these two stories up is because, um, it, because when we can take a lesson from history, and I think the lesson is this, we are not very good in our historical moment of knowing what is right and wrong. You see, the slavery that was going on in 1619, it's not like there was widespread condemnation of that. It's not like people were going, hey, this is really a bad idea to own other people. Mostly people were kind of going along with it and going, yeah, this is working. And we're like, we're making money and it's going well. And like, just there was this idea like, this is okay. And people were acting as if it was okay. Sure, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, other people wrote about it. And they're like, yeah, I don't know if this is a good idea. But they weren't able to stop it in their, in their lifetimes, right? Um, the, so people were going along with it. The forced sterilization of people that was going on in the late 30s in Virginia, people were going along with it and they're going, yeah, this is the best science of the day. The science is settled. The science is spoken. This is a great way. This is, this is the future of the world. This is the way we should be going as a society. Now we look back on those things and I think rightly so, we look back on them and go, this is, this is horrible ways to treat people. But in the moment, people thought these things were good. Which says to me, and maybe I I hope it says to you, society does a pretty bad job in the moment of deciding what is moral and ethical and legal. Okay, it may be legal, but is it good? Is it right? Is it moral? Is it ethical? Should we even be doing it, even if it's legal? Society has a terrible history of that, and not just American society, all of them. They have a terrible history of, of knowing this stuff in real time and being on the right side of history. It's hard to know that in the moment. So how do you decide what is right and moral and ethical, whether it's legal or not? How do, you, how do you draw that line for yourself? You can't rely on society because society has a bad history of it. But here's the hard truth about us. You and I have a bad history of it as well. Not just the culture, but we have a bad history of deciding what is right. And the way I would prove it to you, I mean, I don't know you. I don't know your story. The way I'd prove it to you is think about you when you were 15, Did you do things that were stupid? Yes. Some of you are like, we don't even have to go back that far, Chris. (laughs) College, uh, my adult, young adult years, my, like, just whatever, however old you are, back up like 10 years ago. If you today talk to you of 10 years ago, what would you say? Hey, you of 10 years ago, don't get in that car that night. Don't date her. Stay away from him. Don't take that job. You should take that job. You should have moved here. You should have never gone there. You and I, we all have that. We have this track record of like in the moment, I did some pretty stupid things too. So my question is, as you look back on the sins of the past in history and even in your own past, what are you doing right now? What are you believing, doing? What are you acting on right now that five years, 10 years, 50 years from now, you'll be like, well, that was stupid. What are people looking at, we'll look at 50 years now and go, Americans in 2019 believed what? That was ridiculous. Because it doesn't take that long. It's not that many years ago we were running ads that say four out of five doctors recommend smoking Lucky Strike cigarettes. Right? Like that was the thing. They're smoking like in the surgery. They're like, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. You know, like that was not that long ago. What are the things we're believing right now that are, are not going to age well? 
that you, five years from now, are going to look back and go, I was, I was so stupid. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe that's where I drew the line. We're in this series called Set the Edge, and we're talking about this concept in Scripture of holiness. And, and um, in the Old Testament, the word holy, God refers to himself as holy and calls his people to be holy. The word's kadosh, and it means set apart or separate. God is separate, and he calls his people to be separate from the larger culture around them. And so how do we, how do, we do that? We've talked about, it, uh, about setting an edge that, that um, in, in football, on the edge of the play, around the, around the edges, they say to a defender, hey, you've got to go be strong there. You've got to hold that guy so that you can go make the tackle. Or on offense, they say, go knock that guy out of the way so there's no more edge there and we can go. The idea is if you don't set the edge, someone will set it for you. And so we're looking at morally, ethically, what does it look like to be holy people in an unholy culture. Now, is America the most unholy culture ever created? I mean, no. There's a lot of things about this culture that are, that are good and, and, and fun, and, and there, there's, some, there's some great things here, but it's got some ish as well, right? Like, I mean, we're not Stalin killing 12, 20 million people or Pol Pot murdering people in Cambodia. Like, we're not at that level as a society yet, um, but we've got some, some issues, and we've got some things to, to look at. And so what does it mean for uh, the people of God to be holy in an unholy, uh, in an unholy culture. And that's, that's worth considering. Um, American culture is not holy. Should it be? Should American popular culture, should they be making movies on Netflix or TV shows about how to be more holy? Probably not. American culture shouldn't, maybe shouldn't do that, but the people of God should, or we should be asking the question, how am I really supposed to live in this time and in this moment? So to, to, to look at some of those edges, I want to talk about setting the edge kind of in your own personal life and in your own home. Uh, I want to look at a, a letter in the New Testament, the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, and these Christians in the first century, they're living in Rome, and the Roman Empire is a big dominant thing, right? Uh, culturally very powerful. If you've seen movies, TV shows about Rome, uh, you know kind of some of the things that they were into. And, the, and Paul is writing a letter to these people who are, who are trying to live differently amidst the larger culture. And so they've got issues that they've got to uh, work with, and they've, they've got to figure out. And so um, in a lot of Paul's letters, he starts by just teaching some doctrine, some truths of the faith. Here's, here's who God is. Here's what Jesus did for you. And then at some point in the letter, usually in the last half of the letter, he will shift to, all right, here's how you walk it out in your day-to-day. Here's some things. And so I want to get to that, like, let's walk it out piece of this today as we talk about holiness. Uh, let's start with Colossians chapter 3. We'll start with verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, what does that mean? Well, he's talking to people who are followers of Jesus. Raised with Christ, is that term, he'll use it in Romans chapter 6 when he talks about baptism. He says, when you are baptized, you die with Jesus. You like go under the water, just like Jesus went into the grave and came back from the grave. Baptism is, I go down in the water and I come back out and I am born again. There's a, a rebirth that happens there. You have been raised with Christ. He's talking to followers of Jesus. He's not going to set an edge for the culture. He's not saying, man, isn't Rome terrible? We should fix Rome. Aren't they doing it wrong? No, he's talking to Christians and saying, you guys, though, here's how, here's how we should all live in this larger 
culture. And he, set, and he basically sets an edge for them, and he, and he points to their minds and says, you got to get your minds on things that are above. You have to think about heaven. You have to think about eternity. You have to think about where this is all going. And this is a crucial point for followers of Jesus to remember. We don't believe that this and this life and all the things that go on here is the end. We don't think it's like you live and then you die, period. We think it's you live, you die, comma, and then this other thing happens. There's eternity And so he's saying, hey, remember this. Remember that this is going somewhere. Remember that there's an arc of history and an arc to your life, and you're going somewhere. You're supposed to live. You're going to be with God in eternity. That means any failure you have now is not final. And if we're setting our minds on things above, we should be less rattled by things on earth. Oh, this isn't working. This isn't good. Yes, we want to fix it. Yes, we want to get in there and work on it. But we know this isn't the end. This isn't the final story. And this is important for followers of Jesus to remember. Um, uh, Dwight Moody was a famous evangelist 100 plus years ago, and, and shortly before he died, he, he said this, and I want, I want to read this quote to you. He said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I love that. And maybe we've forgotten some of that. I love the faith there. Yeah, you're going to hear that I'm dead, but not really. I'll be alive more than ever before. And... When you're 24, you think you're immortal. And the older you get, and I've experienced this, the older they get, the more friends and mentors and family die. And you see that, and, you, and it's just a, a, a constant reminder. It's like a, a bell ringing to wake you up and go, this doesn't last and the, more, the older I get and the more people I lose, the more I long for what Dwight Moody said to be true. And I think it is true. It's not true because I want it to be true. I think it, it legitimately is true. I think there's something coming. Um, and that is the faith that I have. That is the faith that Christians have had through, through the millennia, that this isn't it. There's more, there's more coming to us. So Paul starts there. That's kind of how he roots this conversation and then he goes um, to two ideas about, one, about holiness. One would be getting rid of things in your life, and then the other is pouring new things into your life. So listen to verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Wrath of God, very unpopular idea, right? We don't have time. Um, in these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul says, put to death. Here's what holiness looks like. First of all, you've got to drain some of that stuff out of your life. And look at the things he lists there. Put to death sexual immorality. That is almost always first on these kind of lists. And I think it's prominent, and I, and I think 
sexuality, uh, sexual immorality, lust, those sort of things, I think that those have a way of getting their, their claws into us in a way that other sins do not. And so Paul often starts there. That word in Greek for sexual immorality is the word pornea. It's where we get our word pornography. He wasn't talking about pornography the way we think of it today. He was talking about sex outside of marriage in all its forms. That could be pornography. That could be um, adultery. That could be just any unmarried people having, having sex. He says, put to death that kind of stuff. Um, let that go. Get, get rid of it. And in, in the Roman Empire, we talked about this last week, he's saying this to people who live amongst the Romans. The Roman culture says, you have a wife, you have a mistress, you have a teenage boy that you would probably have sex with also, and then you'd go to a temple and visit temple prostitutes. That's Roman sexuality. And in the midst of that, Paul is saying, you have to be separate from that. You're going to have to do it differently if you're going to go walk in the way of God. You need to be committed to one person and faithful to them, and, and you need pour out this stuff. Now, when we think of that now, sexually committed to one person for the rest of your life, that, that kind of idea, in America, in 2019, we go, that's old school, that is what they would talk about, oppressive, like why would you oppress your sexuality or anything like that? We would say all of these things about it now and say, don't do that, that's not good, why would you do that? Which really, a lot of our ideas about that, whether we know it or not, come from Freud. Um, and, and, and the temptation is to read things like that and go, I don't know if I agree with that. But here's the deal. If you read a part of the Bible and you don't agree with it, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because if I read it and I agree with and I like everything I'm reading, I'm probably not thinking about it deep enough. Like there, it, it should challenge you. It should, you should read some stuff and go like, man, I don't know about that. Because if you are going to be in a real relationship with the real God, he's got to be able to really challenge the real you. Because if he can't, and if he doesn't, there's a good chance you're not in a real relationship with the real God. He's going to be different than, a way, than the way people think in our culture. I mean, people, oh, Chris, you really believe that in America in 2019? Man, if you've been coming to this church long enough, you know the, the year and the country that we live in is not a factor for me. Yeah, we got to talk about it and figure it out, but... That's, we don't beat down ideas, as C.S. Lewis says, we don't beat down ideas with a calendar and go, well, that's not true anymore because it's the year 2019. You go like, no, truth is truth with a capital T. For followers of Jesus, we need to look at this and figure this out. So he says, sexual immorality, he talks about don't gossip, to being holy, don't ha let obscene talk come out of your mouths. He'd probably say, or out of your keyboards, if he was writing this today, like, just be careful. In, and, and, and be separate, be different than, than the wider culture around you. But it's not just get rid of some things. He says put on some things. Listen as we go back into it. Look at the things he's challenging us to, to lean into, right? Colossians 3, starting with verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, he says. So he tells us to put on these things, humility and kindness and meekness, and, and to, to let love rule over everything. And I think what's important to notice is, is that you can't put those things on like a shirt. Like, 
Now I'm just going to like wear humble for a minute. Because that's called false humility, right? True humility doesn't look like something you put on as a shirt. These, these meekness and humility and these things, these are habits of the heart. These are deeper than I just try it out. This isn't just like I set an edge arbitrarily. This is like something that goes down deeper inside of us. You can pretend to be humble. Someone gives you a compliment and you're like, oh no, it wasn't me. It's just I have, I have really good teachers and you know, thank you. When inside you could be going, actually, I am kind of awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed also. <laughs> you know, like that, we, we know what that's like. There's a false humility that, that, can, that can be. But the true humility comes out of our relationship with Christ where you go, okay, Here's the truth. Here's an accurate appraisal of me and the world. Here's the real situation. I'm a sinner. I mess up. I blow it. I don't just make mistakes. I make sins. I I wreck things. I have done so, and I still do from time to time. That's who I am. And I'm incredibly loved by my, my creator who knows me, my heavenly father. I'm a sinner, and I'm loved. That's the truth. And that should drive you to the humility. You're not better than anybody, right? This isn't, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinner loved by God. I'm his favorite. Sorry, you know, sucks for you. You don't get to be his favorite. Like, that's not how it works. It should drive you to a humility in your heart where you go like, man, I'm just, I'm just happy to be here too. I'm just happy that God has done a work in my life and he's the hero of the story. I've blown it and yet I am still loved. That's the, the habits of the heart, that, that, that kind of thing that needs to form in us. So, how do we do this? How do we, how can we be holy like this? How can we drain these bad things and bring on the good things? What are, what are some ways to be holy in our modern world? Um, now, I'm going to get real like, um, I don't know, practical I guess here for a second. Um, and believe me, my temptation on this was to just go there, what we just did, and be like, that's good, you go home and figure it out for yourself. And, and I, I still would say, think through this stuff, right, for yourself. As soon as I get concrete, then we run into problems, right? As soon as I say, well, holiness could look like this in America in this day and age. Then people are like, wait a second. What are you doing? Why do you do that? That's not cool. Like, as soon as you set any edge or draw any line, people get really worked up about it, right? Um, it would be much easier for me to keep it nice and vague, and we can go, kindness, you should pursue kindness. And everyone goes home, and you're like, I should pursue kindness. I'm going to post a kindness meme later. And I'm going to be more kind. And I'm going to put up a kindness little sign in my house or whatever. Like, it's easy to go vague. But as soon as you get specific, this is when people get worked up. Uh, so at the risk of um, getting everyone worked up, I think I'll just, just go there uh, and, 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 and go for it. But, but, but let me say this up front. When I, when I talk about setting some edges in my life, what I'm telling you is how I'm trying to work this out in my own life. I am not perfect. I have not figured it out. Here's some things that I'm finding are working for me. If you go, I don't want to do that, I'm not telling you you have to. What I would ask you to do is think about it. Like, think about where you're drawing those lines and do it intentionally um, and, and, and wrestle with God on this and wrestle with what he is calling you to, not what I said or whatever, but li- like really do the work here and, and go for it. My, I have someone who reads my sermons um, every week, and I told him about this series, and he said, man, you just did like a series on, um, on money, which is kind of controversial, and there's a women's series, which is kind of controversial. You're doing a series on holiness, which is kind of controversial. Like, are you trying to do all the controversial things right now? 
And I said, my problem is the list of non-controversial things just keeps getting smaller and smaller. There's like hardly anything you can talk about anymore. Uh, I said, but don't worry, after this series, I'm going to do a series about how great puppies are. And so we'll do that for a couple of weeks. And he, and he emailed me back and he goes, the cat people are going to be so angry at you. <laughs> I was like, all right, you're probably right. So what can I do? Um, so at the risk of uh, frustrating everyone by being concrete, let's go. Uh, let, let's, do, let, let's talk about holiness in modern day, and I want to talk about this idea, uh, in media intake and lust. So lust is an issue for everyone. I think men tend to feel it more acutely than women, but it's an issue for everyone. The lust of the eye, seeing something, desiring it. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But um, we tend to desire other people that aren't ours to desire, and, um, and that becomes problematic for us. Um, I really like what Job did in the, in, uh, in the ancient world. Job had everything taken away from him, uh, his, his family except for his wife, his, his money and everything, and he had sores on his body, and he just had some friends hanging out f- with him to try to counsel him. And listen to what he says. Listen to the line he draws of holiness. Job 31 verse 1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Um, he, he, he said, look, the, the wider culture would say, go ahead and look, just don't commit adultery. And, he, and our culture might say that too, don't cheat on your spouse or things like that. But he draws that line further in and he goes, here's what I'm doing. I'm making a covenant, this, this all-in commitment, like, like marriage is a covenant. I'm going to make this kind of all-in commitment with my eyes. We're, we're just not going there. I'm not going to look at a woman with the intent of lusting after her. Jesus affirms this in the New Testament where Jesus is talking to a crowd of people and they're thinking, I don't commit adultery, therefore I'm not breaking the Ten Commandments. And Jesus goes, yeah, but you're looking at women lustfully and when you do that, that's the problem in your heart. It's not that you didn't break the rule that you're not committing adultery, it's that there's lust going on in your heart and that's, the, that's, that's where the sin actually lives. That's what needs to be rooted out and addressed. And so you have to draw a line in a different space than where the culture does because the culture is not going to do this standard for you. That's not where it's going to, where it will draw a line. So um, how do you uh, not lust? I would say you have to look very closely at what you're looking at and what you allow to pass before your eyes. So for me, again, this is me. This is the way it's worked out for me. Uh, I, 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 really limit the things that I will watch, Netflix or whatever movie comes out or whatever. I go like, "Mm, can I watch that? Am I free? Am I a grown man? Can I go watch that? Sure. But is this going to be good for me? And so I've had to say no to things or or someone will recommend something and we try it and then I'm like, yeah, I just can't. I can't watch that. Um, Now, as soon as I get concrete and name your favorite show, you're going to get offended. So let's go there. Uh, Game of Thrones. So I... (laughs) So I, I, I was reading the book, Game of Thrones, because I was like, oh, it's like a postmodern Lord of the Rings. This would be great. And then everybody dies, and I was like, oh, this isn't fun. Um, I, I, everyone was upset when that series ended. I was like, did you not see that coming? It's been disappointing the whole way through. Like, everybody dies, guys. This is what happens. Uh, anyway, so, so I, I, I was reading the book, and I'm like, there's too many characters. It's really confusing. If I could see it visually, I might, like, track with who the characters are. So I was like, I'll watch the show. And I watched like one episode, I was like, nope, I just can't do it. Like, I can't. I drew a line for me and said, this is uh, a level two porny for me. 
that I can't do. And I've had people say, oh, you know, that's just season one. When did you get to season? I'm like, I'm not going to go through a whole season of this to get to the good whatever writing or, or whatever it is. And I know it's great cast and a lot of money spent on it. It's a great storyline, all that stuff. I get it, guys. And I'm not drawing that line for you. I'm saying I drew that line for me and said, this is not something I can watch. I can because I'm a grown adult and I can watch what I want, but I'm not going to. And I had to draw a line there and go, this, other people may be able to handle this. This is not a good thing to put in front of my eyes. Social media intake generally is another thing that I've thought about and, and have been working on. Um, I've as much as we all use social media, I've never heard anybody really say, you know, Facebook has really helped me feel less depressed, less anxious, less, like, you know, it, it dry, all, this, all the data is there. It drives that stuff in us. And I'm at the point where I just want to step away from all of it. And I'm making some steps in that direction because um, I, I just, for me, it's just, it's not been good. It's not, it's not fed good things in me. And I'm tired of being a consumer of content. I want to create the content. I want to make something for the world with the years that I have left on the earth. And, and I'm not going to do that if I consume everything in little soundbite articles and just grab, grab, and just soak it up or whatever. Like, there's some good stuff out there, but it's, there's so much that's not. Um, that, I'm, that I'm, for me, I'm, I'm deciding to step away from that more. Um, and, and, and decrease that. Let me, let me, let's talk about setting an edge parenting. If you have children, um, you have to set an edge in your family and say, these are the boundaries, because that's what parents do. Like, that's, what we're, that's why we have these people in our home. Like, we're trying to shepherd them and grow them, and so you have to set some edges there, because my children, like every, like, like every kids, right, they would eat chocolate all the time if that was the option, you know? So you have to go, no, vegetables, that's a thing. Like, let, here's broccoli, this is how it works, you know? Like, you have to do that stuff in your own home. And so we, we've had to say, like in our house, hey, we're, our kids don't have smartphones. Our kids are 12, 14, and 16. A lot of kids by those ages have smartphones. And I've seen adults, friends of mine go, this phone is killing me. Like, I, I, I want to be done with this. And when I hear adults say that who have greater sense of willpower than teenagers, I look very closely and go, if I hand this to my teenager, are they going to be like really, they're going to set some really good healthy boundaries around that? Or the dopamine hit and then the neuroplasticity in their brain, are they going to get like a little crazy with this thing? I think that's more likely. And so we've said, hey, you're not, ha you're not having one right now. Um, and that makes my kids the last kids who have flip phones. They still sell those. You know, you can, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and so that's what we have. And if our kids come home and say, like, you are the uncool parents and you don't let us have the cool things that all the other kids have, we'll be like, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess we're uncool. Like, man, parents, if, you, if your kids come home and tell you you're uncool, wear that as a badge of honor. That you have set an edge that the culture did not set. Go you. But you've got to think about what are we here for? Is parenting about let me not kill these people and raise them up so that they can be happy and go to a good college? Is this what we're doing? Is this what the dream is? Or get a good job or marry someone or what? Like, is that what we're doing? Or, and, and I'm talking to Christians here, I believe parenting is to disciple children to grow up and know the Lord. This is what we're doing. So you have to understand what game you're in, and if, and if what we're trying to do is help kids to know the Lord, you, you start drawing some edges and boundaries and go, like, these things are outside the bounds. These are not helpful. This is not, this is not good. Let me give you one more, and then we're done. Uh, dating. So uh, if you're in the dating world, and you go, okay, I'm trying to find someone that I might want to spend the rest of my life with, that kind of thing. Um, 
There's, there's some good things there. There's some things that are probably sort of a net neutral. Um, and then there's some, probably some things that are not healthy or helpful. Um, you know, I've, I've been a little critical of like dating apps and stuff in the past, but you know, I get it. Like I get how it expands the pool of people you could date. And so you can kind of look and see who's around and all that. And it's maybe it beats, you know, trolling bars or whatever. Like I, I understand that. Um, and so there's been some good things there, but once you get beyond the technology and you're actually in a relationship with someone uh, and you meet and you, you're, there, there's a whole hookup culture in, in our culture that is uh, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually damaging to people where we sort of throw our bodies around and, um, and, and that's not a good thing for anyone involved. Um, and I know that's challenging to hear, but I'm, I'm saying if you're going to be in the dating game, play it by different rules and set a different edge than the culture around you will set because the culture is not invested in your health or your holiness. It's not invested in those sorts of things. It's invested in getting what it can and people getting whatever they can. Um, but the, the, sort of this hookup culture is a, a dangerous thing. Years ago, I taught about this idea, uh, maybe about three years ago at Area 10. I taught about sort of the hookup culture and was talking about some of that and where that sits in, in the world. And um, a woman came up to me after the service and she said, hey, um, I'm not a Christian. Uh, she said, I'm from China. And she said, maybe I'm something like a Buddhist, but I enjoy your teaching, so I, I enjoy it. She said, um, I really appreciated what you had to say today. Now, keep in mind, I had just done a sermon where I talked about sex is for marriage. The, here's the boundaries that God draws. She goes, I really like what you had to say. Um, she said, I've lived in this country for three years, and I've dated some, and I am appalled at how Americans throw their body around sexually. And I just thought, man, that's really interesting. This isn't like a religious person being like church lady, like you kids these days. This, she was a really cool lady. Uh, and, she, and she was like, yeah, what's going on? What's up with that? Like, and how weird is that? So for me to say it as a religious leader guy, you go, okay, well, of course he's going to say that as a preacher. But here's this woman, not from America, walks into our sandbox and goes like, y'all are crazy. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? That should make us pause and notice that the things we believe and the things we think are the way things are supposed to be are very localized and not transcultural. And maybe there's something from other cultures that we should think about and it could, and it could challenge us. And look, on that topic and on so many others, I know this is all challenging stuff. It's challenging to think about where the, those edges are set in holiness for marriage, for parenting, for dating, for how you, your eyes, for how you speak to one another, all of those things. It's challenging to get real concrete about that and go, what am I going to do differently? And that's my hope in talking about some of this with you is, is not that you will adopt any line that I draw, but that you will go home and go, like, what am I going to do differently? How am I going to walk? How am I going to be in relationship with my heavenly father? What does holiness look like for me? See, it's really easy to hear this stuff and think, God is trying to ruin my fun. Come on, 2019, you know, the culture that we live in, it's, the, the, why is God being so oppressive and, you know, it just, it, it just makes me anxious. Like, I'd rather just do my thing and be left alone. It's, it's really easy to feel that way. But here's the truth about holiness. Holiness is not God trying to ruin your fun. Holiness is your creator who made you going, I know how you were made, and I'm telling you, this is going to hurt or this is going to be actually helpful. God's holiness is for your health. 
Maybe I would say it this way. Holiness is wholeness. That's what God desires for you. When the scripture in Colossians says, do not lie to each other, it's not to ruin your fun. Oh, it would be easy to tell a little lie and get out of the situation. You're call, we are called to a standard of not lying because when you lie, you have to like remember things you told to people and you lose your integrity and you have to be like, did I tell this person that? And did I tell this person that? And it, it causes anxiety. It's not good for you. So when God says don't lie, he's not trying to ruin your fun. He's trying to, for you to be healthy and whole. That's what this edge is for. And I think as a culture, we are sore in need of that. So if you're a follower of Jesus, um, this is an opportunity to trust because there'll be something where you go, if I live holy in this area of my life, what if God doesn't deliver for me? What if it doesn't, what if I miss out on something? This is a chance to trust and go, all right, it's in your hands. I'll, I'll trust you with holiness and I'll trust that you will bring about wholeness and health in me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may we be holy people who are set apart and different than the world. May we um, look at these edges and, and figure out where they need to be set. God, um, I pray if anyone felt like their toes were stepped on in some way through this message that they would take that up with you and they would wrestle through um, what you would have them look at and experience and, and where you would have them go. Um, God, this is just challenging stuff for all of us. Um, may we be faithful people of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.